baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Good morning. Thank you all so much for coming. My name is Andrea O'Sullivan. I'm executive director at Partnership for the Public Good. We are a community-based think tank made up of 365 partner organizations across Bethlehem, Niagara, and we work together for a more just, sustainable, and culturally vibrant region. In our research on economic inequality, Partnership for the Public Good often recommends a simple formula to fight poverty, to raise people's incomes, and reduce their expenses. Together, PPG, Cornell ILR Buffalo Collab, Clean Air Coalition of Western New York, and our partners are calling on New York State to adopt three policies that do just that by increasing wages for working people and decreasing the fines, interests, and penalties that often add up to overwhelming amounts for the working poor. One major cause of poverty is jobs that do not pay enough. This is especially true in Buffalo, Niagara, even more than the rest of the nation, where we've seen a replacement of manufacturing jobs with lower paying, less secure service industry jobs. This has resulted in a real migration of people from the lower middle class to low income working poor. And of course, since the economic crisis that followed the pandemic, working families in Western New York have been struggling. According to experts, we may see inflation leveling off, but food prices continue to rise. Um, I was just across the street here in the grocery store before the press conference and picked up just a few basic necessities, and it came out to $113. That's eight hours of the current minimum wage in Western New York, $14.20 an hour. So it really takes an entire day of work to just pick up a few basic necessities for families. So today we're going to discuss three policies that can fight rising costs and support working families and we'll share with you why they each matter for Western New York. Um, the first will be the delinquent property tax interest rate cap that protect homeowners from foreclosure. Second, the Raise the Wage Act, which would increase the minimum wage. And third, the End Predatory Court Fees Act to eliminate several charges, including the mandatory court surcharge. And I will turn it over to Kathy Creighton, who is director of the Cornell ILR Buffalo Collab to get us started. Hey. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for coming. I think uh, today's event draws uh, our attention to a couple of policies we can all agree on. And one is that if you go out and you work for a living, you should be able to make a living um, that feeds you and your family. And the second thing I think we can all agree on is that government should not act as a predator on the poor. So to talk about that predator, uh, policy. Uh, I'm going to introduce uh, Senator Sean Ryan and Kate Lockhart from the Western New York Law Center. And they're going to talk about an issue that doesn't get a lot of attention but has a, a large impact on our community, and that is delinquent property tax interest rate cap. Um, so Senator Sean Ryan, you want to come up and talk about your bill? Sure. Thanks so much. Uh, in the Senate, we recently passed a s series of laws designed to uh, combat inflation, and that is to try to keep money in people's pockets. So we know we can improve people's conditions by doing two things. One, paying them more, and we do that by increasing the minimum wage. And two, 
uh, stop taking money out of their pockets. And we take money out of their pockets in several ways. And one is if you're late on your property taxes, the minimum you can be charged, and I'll underscore minimum, is 12%. And that's set by state law. So even if a town or a county wants to charge you less money, they can't. And this feeds into the zombie property uh, crisis, and it takes people out of their homes. Um, so when this rate was set back in the 70s, you know, the prime interest rate was 14, 15%. So it made sense. It doesn't make any sense today. Uh, one in five Erie County homeowners is behind in some sort of tax to a municipality, and they're paying interest rates higher than credit cards. Uh, and what happens? Uh, people lose generational wealth when they get moved out of their homes. Then banks are super close, super slow to foreclose, which means you have a zombie house in your community. Uh, so I have a bill that would reduce the interest rate uh, charged to homeowners, all in an intention of keeping people in their homes, but also to stop nickel and diming them to death. Uh, I've been working very closely with the Western New York Law Center. Kate Lockhart is a leading uh, researcher there, and she's been uh, pushing and talking about this issue in the, uh, the community. So it's my pleasure to bring up Kate Lockhart. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Senator, so much for having that bill um, and, and pushing for this important change in our community. As the Senator mentioned, interest rate on back taxes is debilitating for Western New York families as well as families statewide. Um, we do a lot of foreclosure prevention at the Western New York Law Center. We see lots of families that are in danger of losing their homes for taxes. And the interesting thing is the vast majority of our clients, it's not that they can't afford their taxes, it's usually the lump sum that they struggle with. So if you add additional interest rate on top of that lump sum, it becomes next to impossible for families to dig out of that hole. So Erie County and the city of Buffalo will charge up to 18% on delinquent homeowners, which is, is just, like I said, very difficult for homeowners to get out from underneath. Um, just this last year, we had a homeowner, she is an elderly woman, and I was looking over her bill for her, and she showed me where she paid Erie County $2,000 the year before, but couldn't pay her entire tax bill. And then we went, when we went over it and I showed her that she owed more than, than that amount, she was astonished that basically the interest just ate up anything she was able to contribute to try to get current. Um, and that's what we want to prevent seeing. It not only makes it difficult for families to stay in homes long term, but if you're a family and you qualify for maybe a new roof through another great program in the city, you have to be current on your taxes to even qualify. So adding interest only makes it more difficult to access other programs that are vital to communities. So we thank the Senator again for this legislation and encourage um, the Assembly to pass it because it would be incredibly meaningful for Western New York families. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Senator Ryan and Kate. Um, our second policy is the Raise the Wage Act. This would gradually increase the minimum wage across New York State to $21.25 by 2027, and it would index the minimum wage to the cost of living and worker productivity so it doesn't fall behind again. This would benefit three million workers, one third of the workforce, including about half the workers in the city of Buffalo. And we've got a few speakers to speak to this one. First up, we'll hear from Russell Weaver, Cornell and Buffalo Director of Research, to give an overview of some data on this. 
So dating back to at least the 2010 gubernatorial race, New Yorkers have been very familiar with the common phrase, and that is that the rent is too damn high. Now, there's another interlocking part to that story. Well, that's continued to exacerbate, and that situation has gotten worse in recent years. The other part to the story is that for most working families, the wages are too damn low. Um, the current upstate minimum wage in New York State just went up to $14.20 per hour. For a full-time worker working 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year, that translates to just over $29,500 per year. Now, as of this morning, according to Zillow, a one-bedroom apartment, the market rate in Buffalo, the going rate is $1,111 per month. That's over $13,000 per year. If we look at the average cost of childcare in Buffalo, according to a national firm, Tutris, that tracks real-time data on childcare, the average cost of childcare per child in Buffalo is about $10,660. So if you're talking about a single parent working a minimum wage job full-time for a small apartment and childcare, that's 81% of your budget. And the reality is that without any public housing or childcare subsidies, which are notoriously difficult to access, that means that that parent is probably looking for a second job or a third job, even just to make ends meet. That leaves, you know, from that $29,500 salary, about $5,500 for a year's worth of food, for utilities, for taxes, and all of the other living expenditures that they'll face. And so there's legislation on the table. In fact, there's a lot of buzz right now and a lot of talk about raising the minimum wage in New York State, recognizing that historic inflation, especially last year, has driven costs way up. So there are two leading proposals. One is to start from the minimum wage that we have right now, $14.20 tracking up to $15, and to tie that to inflation going forward, to adjust that minimum for cost of living year after year. Now, the issue with that or the downside to that is it doesn't catch us up to where the minimum wage would be if it continued to track with economic productivity and cost of living over time. And so researchers estimate that a wage of $21.25 in New York State would start to bridge that gap. And according to our Cornell ILR wage atlas that came out in January of this year, um, that wage increase would benefit over 200,000 workers right here in Buffalo, Niagara. And if we think about the wages that they're currently earning, the most common wage of folks in Buffalo, Niagara who are earning below 21.25 right now, can you guess what it is? It's 14.20, it's minimum wage. And so that would be a huge benefit to a large fraction of our workforce here in Buffalo, Niagara, which could result in an increase, a median increase of about $10,000 per year in take home pay or gross pay, excuse me, for folks currently earning a minimum wage. That would go a long way to offset rising housing costs, food costs and general costs of living here in Western New York. So as the governor and legislature begin to ponder ways of raising the minimum wage, it's important to recognize that the wage that we have right now doesn't quite catch us up to where we sh should be and need to be to have thriving families here in Western New York. So the, wage, uh, the Raise the Wage Bill, sponsored in the Senate by Jessica Ramos and in the legislature, in the assembly, excuse me, by um, Latoya Joyner, would raise the current wage um, gradually to 2125 by 2027 for here in Buffalo and upstate New York. And then from there on, it would index that wage to both cost of living increases and economic productivity which means that not only will workers continue to have the purchasing power they did the year before as cost of living increases, but it also means that they would get a share of the productivity that their labor helps to generate. And so that's a bill that we're here to talk about. And um, we have some local co-sponsors of that bill, which I'm, I'm um, you know, very thrilled to hear about and you'll hear from them next. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rusty.
Yes, next up, um, we invite Adam Fogel, Chief of Staff to New York State Senator Tim Kennedy, who's co-sponsoring the Raise Up New York bill to talk about their support. Thank you. Thank you, Andrea. I wanted to start. Uh, my name is Adam Fogel. I'm Senator Kennedy's Chief of Staff. Senator Kennedy isn't able to be here today. He's on his way to Albany, uh, but asked me to come here and speak in support of this legislation that he's proud to co-sponsor. I want to start just by thanking Andrea and PPG for their outstanding leadership on this issue and many issues in our community. Um, it, it's a basic tenant of the labor movement, uh, a fair day's pay for a fair day's work. And that's exactly what this is all about. Uh, Senator Jessica Ramos is the sponsor of this legislation. She chairs the Labor Committee in the New York State Senate. And uh, the federal government has failed us on raising the minimum wage. Uh, we all know that. And so New York State stepped up by raising the minimum wage. And now we need to continue to do that to make sure that the minimum wage keeps up with the cost of living. We all know that inflation is sky high, that groceries cost more than they ever have, that the basic necessities of housing and transportation cost more than they ever have. And so workers deserve to be paid what they should uh, based on that. And so what this bill will do essentially is raise the wage to catch back up, as Rusty said, to where it should have been all along had we tied it to inflation and then tie it to inflation moving forward. And this isn't arbitrary, as, as you heard Rusty say. This is keeping up with the actual cost that people face on the ground. Um, and Rusty gave us some very good information, uh, really from an academic perspective, from a scholarly perspective, that this makes sense. Um, but I also want to uh, recognize a colleague of mine, Zanetta Everhart, who is here with us today. She is the Senator's Director of Diversity and Inclusion, and she is on the ground in the community, particularly on the east side of Buffalo, uh, working with single moms, working with people that go to work every day uh, to make a better life for their family, uh, working with groups like Feed More Western New York to fill food pantries, to have food drives. Um, and we saw this during the pandemic, the tremendous need during the pandemic, but it has continued now post-pandemic. And so people don't want to have to rely on those food pantries, although they're there in the community. They want to make a living wage so they can provide for themselves and their families. And that's exactly what this piece of legislation would do. So thank you very much. Thank you again to PPG for all of your work in the community. Thank you so much. Um, we also want to uh, give a thanks to Assemblymember John Rivera. His office is right down the street here. He couldn't be with us today, but he um, supports Raise Up New York and added his co-sponsorship to the Raise the Wage bill this week as well. Um, next up, we'll hear from Regine Donga, who is our public health fellow at PPG, and she's gonna speak about the impacts of minimum wage increases for refugees and immigrants. My name is Regine Danga, and I am a public health fellow at Partnership for the Public Good. The low income wage in New York State continues to negatively impact immigrants, women of color, and refugees. I have seen at first hand uh, how the low income continues to impact refugees and Congolese communities. I have seen my family and other Congolese families struggle finding a high paid jobs. Even though they came to United States with a high degree, but when they come here, their credentials were not uh, transferred. So many of them had to learn English and they had to work multiple 
uh, low income wages uh, so that they can support their family, but still they continue to struggle to make the end mates for their family. Many of them work 60 to 70 hours per week and, and that continued to impact them negatively. I've seen most of Congolese members struggle with chronic pain, hand pain due to years of working uh, in cleaning jobs, housekeeping jobs. Some of the Congolese members also have lost their loved one due to overtime working for a long time. As a result, they ended up having heart, um, heart disease. Some Congolese members as well continue to struggle because they have double responsibilities. They are worried about their family here in the United States and also their families back in their home countries. As a result of that, they have to work multiple jobs just to support their family both here and, and back to their home country. So I'm asking um, to increase the minimum wage to 25 to 20, uh, 20 excuse me 21 to 25 by 2017 this will help a lot uh, women of color refugees and immigrants and also congolese community as well this will promote good health this will promote um, a good opportunity for them to earn more well-paid uh, jobs. This also will help them to spend more time with their, their children because when they're working multiple jobs, they have less time to spend with their children, which is not good for the kids, especially children that still need support and supervision from their parents. I'm standing here as a community member, as a Congolese member, and also a social worker and a public health fellow to ask uh, legislators to support uh, re, uh, to support this act. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you, Regine. Um, we're coming into the home stretch on this chilly morning. Our final speaker on Raise Up New York, the minimum wage bill, is Brandy Barrett, co-owner of Barrett and Benetti's Development, and she's going to add her perspective as a member of the Business for a Minimum Wage Coalition. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Brandy Barrett, co-owner of Barrett and Benitas, and I also uh, represent Broadway Fillmore for the Commercial District um, Program. The reason why I want to stress uh, the uh, the stress of the increase for the minimum wage is because as a business owner, as a representative that helps shape the commercial district of the East Side community. We, we strongly depend on our customers and our workers, and they're both one of the same. If we don't have customers coming into our businesses, patronizing, recycling the dollars that we need in our economy, those businesses, those small businesses will fail. We need to continue to uplift the importance of why the increase of minimum, the increase of minimum wage is so important. Um, again, as I emerge as a new business owner developing uh, the Loads of Love project, which is an eco-friendly laundromat, um, one of the main concerns is how will we pay a low-cost worker, a low-wage worker? How will we retain their services um, at $14.20 an hour? It's just not possible. Raising a minimum wage is good business. Low wage businesses have more trouble hiring and retaining employees as workers look elsewhere to make ends meet. We can't afford as the east side of Buffalo, as a member of the east side of Buffalo, to lose more jobs outside of the city. 
raising the minimum wage pays off lower employee turnover, lower hiring and training costs, increased productivity, and better customer service, which keeps customers coming back. We see post-COVID restaurants closing, laundromats closing, grocery stores closing, all because we can't retain the workers that we need to pay better wages to sustain those businesses. So I support this bill, I raise up this bill, not just as a business owner, as a worker for a small business, and as a member of the Eastside community. Thank you. Thank you so much. Our third um, and final policy this morning is the End Predatory Court Fees Act. This would eliminate the mandatory court surcharge that is applied to every conviction in New York, including traffic tickets and minor infractions. These fees or surcharges are extra costs that the government attaches to every conviction. They can total hundreds of dollars, not including the amount of the fine imposed itself. Um, individuals are often required to pay these fees on top of a fine in many cases even if the judge decides not to impose a fine at all you still have to pay these court processing fees um, so these are explicit revenue raisers they are really a form of regressive taxation on new yorkers the new yorkers and and western new yorkers that are often the least able to afford them um, we're concerned about these because it's one more form of really punishing people living in poverty and also encouraging police for profit and for the working poor paying just one traffic ticket and the mandatory surcharge can mean missing rent going without health care or skipping on groceries um, we're gonna call up Nick Ramirez our final speaker who's a public defender at the Legal Aid Bureau of Buffalo to tell us more about this thank you everybody uh, so my colleagues and I daily are in Buffalo City Court and we're seeing people from this community largely. Uh, I grew up just a few blocks from here myself. Uh, we're seeing people from the east side who have obviously suffered a lot of tragedy and a lot of trauma. We see them in those cells and then we have to bring them upstairs and even if we're able to get something where they don't have to come back to court they're going to be assessed this additional fee. Uh, particularly I had a client just a few weeks ago who was poor, had mental health issues, he was arrested because he was overjoyous, as he described it, in a train station. And DA worked with us and we got him a really nice arrangement where basically it goes away if he stays out of trouble, right? And the judge says, all right, here's what I'm gonna do. We'll get rid of this in a few months. Uh, no fine, no jail, but I can't do anything about the surcharge. I'm sorry. Because this guy had no income. It's already what had put him in this position. And even with me and the DA and the judge trying to make sure he didn't end up back in this position, he's still stuck with this $120 that he has to pay without making any money. And if he doesn't pay it, it doesn't just go away. It turns into any other debt. It accrues interest, it shows up on your credit, it makes it so you can't get a job, you can't get an apartment, you can't get a car. It's humiliating. I, myself, in my early 20s, had a car parking ticket because my car was broken down and couldn't move. It took me 10 years to get enough to pay it off because it got up to $900 by the time it was finished. And the only way I could pay it off was a loan from my friends. That's what these people live with. That's what I had to live with. And I was blessed enough to be given the opportunity to help people in that situation now. And it breaks my heart when I see that they're still going to have this burden 
and it's just going to grow. They've already lost work by having to come to court. They're already afraid of what's going to happen with their job and their childcare from having to come to court. And no matter how many people are trying to help them in that position, they are going to be stuck with this because the judges can't say, you know what, you can't afford to pay it anyways. Let's just forgive it, send you to get some job training. They've got to say, we're going to send you a job training and we're going to charge you this. So I strongly support passing this bill. I know all of my colleagues support passing this bill, and I hope that we can get it done this legislative session. Thank you. Thank you. And um, some research that Nick did for us at PPG when he was still a law student showed that in 2020, more than $18 million in mandatory surcharges and fees was collected by the courts in the eight counties of Western New York. So $18 million, we're talking about a lot of money coming from, again, um, working families and poor residents. So folks, uh, those are the three policies we wanted to highlight today, again, to fight inflation, rising prices, and support working families. Um, any, any questions? Well, certainly raising the minimum wage uh, is a good start. But tax delinquencies are tricky uh, because they often small, start with small amounts. But it's the credit card type interest that, that keeps accruing. I mean, you might have had the same experience yourself. You know, you're four days late on your tax bill. You get this whopping second letter saying now you have to pay $180 more because uh, you're four days late. Uh, so these bills just keep accruing and it, it, they, they compound upon themselves. So, you know, municipalities on one hand say they want less zombie houses, but on the other hand, uh, they're part of the problem by charging between 12 and 18 percent interest uh, on, on late payments. Sure. Uh, what I hear from business owners uh, over and over and is we need people uh, to come into our, our workplaces. Uh, so when we raised the minimum wage last time, about nine years ago, there was a, a lot of concern in the business community. You're not hearing it this year because you go to a McDonald's drive through and there's signs up saying $18 an hour can start work immediately. Um, so right now, the private sector is ahead of the law. Uh, so the private sector is paying way ahead of what the uh, law currently mandates. Uh, so now is the time to have the law catch up. I mean, there are definitely some circumstances where, you know, the, this, the wage weight, we're trying to push it up. It, it's already uh, there. And this is just an acknowledgement uh, of that. Rusty, you want anything to add on that? Uh no, so I'll, I'll just double down on that. So a lot of um, what the senator is saying, too, whenever minimum wage increases, you're going to see something of a multiplier effect. So when folks have more disposable income, that means they're patronizing more businesses and buying more goods and services, which keeps demand up and allows those businesses to continue to function. And as our uh, you know, business owner here had um, also said, this also reduces costs related to retention, related to employee turnover and retraining and rehiring and HR. So there are costs 
savings that come along with having a happier, um, you know, higher or a workforce that has higher earnings and they're able to you know, stay with their business and go out and spend their money locally and have that money multiply in local economies. I usually do an informal uh, survey of people I know throughout my life who own businesses and I made a call to several folks in the last few weeks to ask them uh, what do you think about the minimum wage increase and what do you pay now and I was really surprised at what a lot of service businesses were paying now in order to get people through their doors, but still their plea was, but I need more people at, at, at more hours or, or I can't uh, run my business. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.